Good morning, everyone. Today is Wednesday, the 1st of December, 2021, and we are gathered after a hiatus of almost two years and picking it up with the book of Revelation, and not the teacher, which is the pastor, or the students, which are the beloved saints, know exactly where we are at. So we are going to start with Revelation chapter 12. Um, but before I read that, let me just say the book of Revelation is the coronation of the Christ. It is the Christological aspect of who is Christ, the Lamb who was slain and is alive again. And it is really, uh, sadly, many people focus on the horrific things that are going to happen in the book, but they do not see the beauty of the book of Revelation. It's one of the great comforting books we have in the scripture. Uh, granted, there's a lot of typological thing that's going on. There's a lot of drama that's going on, and there's a lot of things. But the center of uh, the book of Revelation is the crowning um, of our King and God, Jesus Christ. It is his crowning glory as our Lord and Savior. And so when we dig deeper into this wonderful um, scripture, I just want you to realize the beauty of it and not to be afraid by saying, well, I really don't understand it. But just ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to enlighten you, to open your mind. Even like right now when we prayed, Lord, remove all the cobwebs. We've been in Haiti, uh, not in Haiti, but in Hiatus for about two years. And, um, you know, we haven't touched this book for quite some time. So it would be, if you have time, it would be good to reread it again. If you can do it at one setting maybe two settings. It's only 22 chapters. And just kind of, it gives you the rhythm and the meter and how it all binds together. And with that in mind, let's go to chapter 12. And it's the woman and the dragon. And we will talk more specifically about this after I read the text. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman closed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head the crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness when she ha where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. 
and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness <coughs> to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help, to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the, uh, on the sand, and he stood on the sand of the sea. Okay, so uh, to help us a little bit more, we are going to look at my spiritual father, Louis Brighton, with his commentary on the book of Revelation to give us kind of an overview of what it is about this woman. So just bear with me as I read to kind of put us back together into this uh, study. Chapters 12 through 14 serve as intergonum, that is a pause between the second and the third sevenfold visions of events taking place on earth. During this pause, opposing forces vie to rule. This break between the second and third earthly visions is more than an interlude, such as the interlude that appeared between the six and the seven seals in the first sevenfold visions. And the one that transpired between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, angels of the second sevenfold vision. For in this break between the second and the third vision, there is a lengthy pause or cessation by which the normal flow of the visionary prophecy in Revelation concerning events on earth is interrupted. The portrayal of events on earth is suspended in order to permit John to see a cosmic vision. Cosmic mean worldly vision, expounding events that overreach what he has been seeing happening on earth. So he was looking at earth and the island of Patmos. Now he's looking into the heaven or into the cosmos. Okay. 
what John views in Revelations 12 through 13 dominate and controls the event that he sees taking place on earth. That is, these chapters visually explain to John why the events on earth are occurring. The events depicted in this integrinum are cosmic in character because the actions depicted occur both above and on the earth. For what is portrayed before the eyes of John is nothing less than the cosmic war between God and the prince of darkness, and that's the devil or Satan, okay? This war, this warfare between God and Lucifer, the fallen angel, uh, between the fallen angel uh, is the source and cause of the warfare between God's people on earth and the forces of evil. Just to pause, to kind of, as my spiritual father is explaining here, the pause is to show us the constant battle between God and Lucifer, but it isn't so much about the war that God is uh, raging over Lucifer, but the war that Lucifer is raging over the people of the earth. As you heard me read in the chapter that um, Lucifer went after the offspring of the woman, right? Because he could not destroy the woman, so he went after her offspring, which is why we see evil, why we see tragedies, that, why we see heartaches, uh, why we see heartaches, why we see challenges and troubles and hardships. <laughs> Revelation 12 14, uh, through 14 is thus an exposition of an explanation of all that John sees happening on the earth from the time of Christ's exaltation up to the end of this present world at Christ's return. And this is the one thing that, too, that I want you to think about the book of Revelation, Okay. What you are reading about in this book is happening even now, okay? So the book of Revelation really entails the um, ascension of Christ to the throne. He's seated at the right hand as we confess in the creed until he returns. So this is continually is going to be going on, okay? Chapter 12 presents the awesome scene of the woman with child the dragon who attempts to destroy the child, and after the child is taken to heaven, the war in heaven which results in the expulsion of Satan from God's heavenly presence, the chapter concludes with the dragon venting his fury on the woman and her offspring. So, again, uh, the dragon, as powerful as he is, and we can see he has power to destroy by trying to drown the woman, but God uses the earth to open it up. So as strong as the devil is, he's no match for God. He can devour us. He can destroy us. He can cause a lot of pain for us, but he cannot annihilate us. Only God can do that. And the, the devil is no match. And that's why we see the furry that he's going after the uh, woman's offspring, which, of course, would be all of the followers of Jesus. The chapter concludes with the furry, 
The vision continues in chapter 13 with the scene of two terrifying beasts that the dragon conjures up for use in his warfare against the woman and her seed. And the word seed, and I want you to underline that, the word seed is literally, which is the child, is singular, not seeds, okay? So the battle is raging against the woman and the child. And the seed, of course, um, that was even um, spoken this past Sunday during the Advent, uh, connecting the dots, which God gave to the woman in uh, the Garden of Eden, and your offspring, the seed, and the same thing was given to Father Abraham, the seed, your seed, singular. So there's one child from whom all the offsprings will come, and that is Jesus Christ, okay? Um, The cosmic vision of this intergnum concludes in chapter 14 with the scenes of victory and rejoicing over the judgment and overthrow the evil forces of the dragon. So, um, again, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 are one unit. They're all part of the same vision and the same battle that is ensuing and going on. So, uh, again, Father Brighton speaks. A great sign appeared in heaven. The phrase suggests and points to something of importance. For a sign in the biblical sense is a visual presentation that exhibits something of the divine. Think of John's Gospel, where Jesus in chapter 2 performs the first miracle of turning water into wine. And John writes in verse 11, this was the first sign to show that he is the coming one of God. Okay? Um, It could be a visible token which serves as a confirmation of a gracious promise of God or a visible guarantee of God's presence. And he he gives us a whole bunch of uh, verses, so I'm not going to go there. In his gospel, John called miracles of John signs because they were visible evidences of the saving presence of God in Jesus Christ. In Luke 2, 12, the sign given to the shepherd was that they would find the Christ child. Here's the singular seed when they found a child wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Strikingly here in 12.1, the word refers to a woman closed about with the sun and with the moon under her feet. She is referred to as a great sign (coughs) implying what she is and represents is of great importance. The sign of the woman appears in heaven, (coughs) excuse me, indicating that her presence is before God in heaven. She is from God. She's not from earth. That is, uh, that is, she is related to his saving presence, yet the woman and what she represents is also on earth. Even though she's from God, but she, before God, but she also represents people on earth. The woman was closed in brilliance, of, of the, in the brilliance of Christ as exhibited by the sun, 
and you can put S-O-N if you so choose. Her face and appearance themselves do not shine like the sun, for that is reserved for the exalted Son of Man and for the angel that stands in the place of Christ and represents him when commissioning John to the church. But God has put around her the brilliant sunlit glory of Christ, signifying that in Christ and because of him, she stands in God's holy presence, closed about with the sun, also suggests how much God in Christ honors the woman. Now, of course, everybody wants to know who this woman is, what does she represent? Of course, we do know that Mary gave birth to the child, right? But we also talk about the woman as the church, the bride of Christ. So we talk about that as well. So um, what what we are talking about in this uh, relations that then, as we look at this woman, she represents God's people, Israel and the church, the saints of all times, There's not a time that this woman does not represent all the followers of Jesus, okay? We are talking about from the time of his ascension to his return again. And so what we do have right here is the amazing beauty of how God uh, sustains and keeps his people safe. And remember what it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. And if you guys remember that by heart, if you don't, you may want to take a look at it and see. Revelation 2, verse 10. Revelation 2.10. Bert, you want to read that for us? You need a magnifying glass? <coughs> no, I'm fine. <laughs> I just got to get it up here where I can see it better. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of, of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Thank you. Here again, John is consistent in his teaching and in his inspired words to say that in this world, we, the offsprings of God, the children of God, will endure suffering. It says for a ten, uh, ten days, okay? I don't know how long is this ten days, but we do know it's for a time, all right? And it isn't, it isn't um, uh, what do you call it? It is not uh, forever. This is a passing time, okay? And it is for the testing or to make us stronger, just like Father Abraham was tested, right? Now, I want you to take a look, turn around and take a look at the clock, right? The clock has two hands, right? The short hand and the long hand, correct? If you can think of the short hand as the hand of God for discipline, if you take a look at the, look at the larger hand or the longer hand, think of that as the gospel, the sweetness. The shorter hand, we are disciplined by God. But the longer hand, 
is the gospel that passes over and over and over. The period of the uh, shorthand of discipline is just a short time. The gospel permeates everything that we do. And so uh, this is only for a season, for a time, for the moment, whatever those 10 days may be, it's only for a time. But God wants us to be faithful unto the end, and he will give us the crown of eternal life. And that's the beauty, and that's what we focus on in these things. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman closed with the sun, and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown twelve st- of twelve stars. Now, who, what are the twelve stars represents? Uh, remember the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve, tri- uh, twelve apostles. That literally stands for the uh, people of God of all periods, of all times, from all nations. Um, so it represents literally the people of God. And just backtrack just for a little bit uh, to chapter 7. And um, this will give you an idea. Oh, I've gone too far. All right. I'm going to read it from chapter 1, excuse me, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, and then we'll conclude shortly uh, at 17. But I think it's very worthy of us to comprehend again how all of these dots connect together. After this, I saw four angels standing, let me do this here, standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed is 144,000 seals from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then we have all the number, 12, 12, 12. So I'm not going to read those. You can look at it. But again, the 12 represents all the people of God. And here is the key that we want to compare in the sense that all of the people of God are included. We have it in these verses. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now, um, earlier we talked about the tribes of um, Israel, Twelve of them, they spoke one language. They were the offspring of one man, uh, Jacob, right? He had the 12 sons, so that become the 12 tribes. But that's here. Now we go, and then he says, the great multitude that no one could number, right? And people from different languages, different countries, different nations, different tribes, with palm branches in their hands, And this is similar to the great triumphal entry of Jesus 
in John chapter 12, Matthew 21, where Jesus comes riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation, this is like Hosanna, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where, they, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to offspring of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So this is the image of what God is doing to his people. We will go through troubles, we will go through tribulation, we will go through testing and trials, because we live in a fallen and a broken world. But those who endure will survive by God's grace because of the blood of the Lamb that cleanses us, purifies us, and makes us whole again. I will pause here, and there, are there any questions or comments? I know I've been just speaking non, nonstop. How come in Genesis we take a day to mean 24 hours, and in Revelation we take it to mean undetermined amount of time? <clears throat> Say this again one more time. In Genesis, we take a day to be 24 hours. Correct. And in Revelation, we take it to be an undetermined amount of time. Where do you, you mean when I say that about the 10 days? Yeah, we're talking about Because it's not, um, well, let me, how, how do I phrase it? Um, this is more typology than it's a period of time. Uh, now, like the 1260 days, for example, we do know that's three and a half years because it talks about it already during Elijah's time. The rain did not come in for three and a half years. So there was a specific time for the period of time. And let me, let me see what my uh, professor would have said about the 10. Let me see if he says anything about that. And uh, I see counsel also. Let me look at... Um, Ten days probably symbolizes a short time like the ten-day period of testing in Deuteronomy. Just a short time. Because, again, typology, it's a type. It's not, you know, and this is where uh, perhaps sometimes with this, um, the book, specifically in Revelation, where it becomes a challenge, what is real you know, versus typology. It looks, it's pointing for something. But we do know that's just a short period of time, the testing. The Apostle Paul also says, this is also going to be a time of testing. 
meaning it's just a short period of time. That's the best that I can do, Ray. I don't know, um, you know, uh, I, I do know from studying the book of Revelation with my professor, we did talk about that. That's a, just a short period of time. It is not determined like in the creative activity of Genesis 1, where he said there was a morning and there was night the first day. There was, there was the specific event. Here is just a period of time. How long that is? What, could it be 10 specific days? Possibly. You know, it is very possible. Unplausible. All I do know, it's a very short period of time. And again, if we look at the shorthand of the clock, the disciplined time or the difficult time, just a short time. And if you look at, move forward to 21. Let's go to 21, which most of you probably have heard since we've had at least seven or funerals since I've been here, and we've used this many, many times. Okay. Uh, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. See that? Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The time will come. We will no longer cry. There will be no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more difficulties or affliction or suffering. None of that. The time will come where we have no affliction whatsoever. And this is really uh, the, the profound thing is every single one of us in this room is going to die someday. Some, maybe tomorrow, others a year from now, maybe 50 years from now, okay? But we're going to die. That's the death that we will endure. But after that, for the followers of Jesus... We have the hope of the resurrection. The time will come. My arthritis are not going to bother me. Joyce is not going to need the, the lifter to get her up here. And some of you who have hearing aids, you don't need those. And me, with my glasses, I don't have to wear glasses anymore. And my arthritis will not bother me. Because God is going to make everything new without pain without sorrow and it is impossible for us to comprehend what does that mean my my friend said in heaven you won't be married she's right in the sense we will not be doing what we are doing right now like taken in marriage and stuff but you will have your husband there. You will know your husband. But, uh, and how will that be? Will there be consummation of that relationship? I have no idea. But it does not, it does say we will not be marrying and taking in marriage in heaven. So, 
What does that mean? We'll have to wait and see. So, how does that work? You don't know. I, I, I don't know if I can answer that question. <laughs> but, but, but it I does mean, not... Say, say you die and the queen takes another husband. How does that work if she has two husbands in heaven? That's God's wisdom, not mine. It's beyond me. I don't know how to explain that. Any more? Just, just a minute. Because legally, I mean, it's not like she's cheating on no, you. No, 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 no. No, because the Apostle Paul said, you are bound to your spouse until death they you die. Part. Right. That death do you part. After that, if you choose to take a spouse, that's up to you. Right? And so we don't have any way to determine how will that look in the sight of heaven. Nobody has gone there and come back to say, this is how it's going to be. Who knows? But we do know that you can identify who are the people in heaven. Luke 16 tells us that. Okay? Lazarus, the story of Lazarus and the rich man who is unnamed. Lazarus dies and goes to heaven and sitting with Abraham, right? But how does it work in marriage up in heaven? You know, Jesus did say we will not be, because one of the questions, I think it's in Matthew 9, what will happen to this lady who's had seven husbands, right? And Jesus says, when heaven there will not be taken in marriage or given in marriage. So what does this mean? Does that mean we cease to be husband and wife? I don't know. Well, the Bible is silent. And you cannot infer or say this is how it's going to be. Where the, where the Bible is silent, we do not speak and assume this is how it will be. I don't know. And if anybody tells you that they know, they're trying to sell you something. The Bible is silent. It just says we will not be taken into marriage Will you know your husband? Absolutely. How does that work? We'll have to wait and see. I don't know. My grandson, when he was six or seven, and it was in the church, they were talking about going to heaven. And he taps his dad and he says, so I get to see Thomas Jefferson? So, <laughs> <laughs> so he was, he thought, wow. Well, but you're going to see the ones... You're going to be in heaven. You're going to see some people you never expected. And some of those you have expected to see, you're not going to see. Okay? That's the sad reality. Because we don't know what's in the hearts of people, right? Those who are faithful to God, not by their own merits, okay? By the Holy Spirit, will see God because they believe and trust in Him that He is their Savior. That much we do know. Again, how will that be is beyond my wildest imagining. I, I, do, I personally do not know, and I'm a theologian and I'm a, you know, a student of the scripture. I do not know how to explain that to you. Um, I, I will try to read a little bit more on this. Is, is that the hole in the doily? Could be, yeah. It, I mean... There is a lot of things in Scripture we do not know. And rather than focusing on the things we do not know, what should we focus on? The things we do know. You know that Jesus loves you. Mm -hmm. You know that he's faithful to you till the end. Mm -hmm. You know that he died and suffered for you. Mm -hmm. 
you know that he rose and you know that he's coming back. And because you believe all of these things, you will be with him in paradise, right? Mm -hmm. Those things we do know. And that should be the focus Mm -hmm. of our um, daily life, to look to that day. But what we also do know, in heaven, we will not experience any crying. I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful to wake up and say, oh my gosh, I don't have a backache or I don't have a side ache or a headache or, you know, to be able, think of Joyce, to be able to get up these steps two or three at a time. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You bet. You know, and I used to run continuously. I can't do it. I try to. I just, my knees cannot take it. But in heaven, I won't have that. You'll be able to run wherever you want. <laughs> you can run, you can go, you can do all of these things. So anyway, um, this I think I hope to, this appetizer of introduction back to Revelation uh, help us to kind of fathom more what the Spirit is saying to us. And if I can conclude uh, this study in this way. Focus on that which is concrete, not on that that is supposed to be, we don't know what it is. Because we can spend a lot of time uh, searching for things that we don't know, and we could be misled, rather than focusing on that which is the absolute concrete. In uh, Mark 7, Jesus speaks of the wise man who builds his house. What does he build his house on? The rock versus the sand. Any house that's built on the sand is gonna be washed away. Anyone who builds his house on the rock, Christ Jesus, the eternal rock, will stand forever no matter what the storms of life is. Even if I don't understand or cannot explain about marriage in heaven, okay? We still have the anchoring hope in the cross of Christ, for he is the rock, right? Upon the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Is sinking sand, right? So it is the rock, Christ Jesus. He is our hope, he's our help, and he's our history, as I shared last Sunday in the sermon. So... All right. Any other question before we close? We'll pick it up with verse 2. Questions? Comments? Thoughts? Well, thanks for coming. Uh, It's good to be back again in this uh, blessed uh, ministry, and I pray that the Lord will bless us richly as we continue to go forward. Reminding you again this evening, we have supper. I guess the ladies of the Trinity... I think they're called LWML, whatever that stands for. I don't know, but I hear they're bringing a whole bunch of goat meat and alligator meat and all kind of things. Anyway, uh, they're supposed to be bringing soup and goodies. I'm coming for the goodies rather than the soup. But let's pray. Blessed Lord Jesus, thank you for all that we know. That you came from heaven to earth to this filth-stenched world to redeem us. And you did so by becoming man, living the perfect life to fulfill the law for us. Help us to look with eagerness and joy to the day 
that awaits us, the day of the resurrection, where will we gaze upon your face for the end of our lives upon you who was slain but is alive today. Thank you for every child of yours who is here today. And we pray, O Lord, that you would continue to grant us your grace to grow in wisdom, in knowledge, and in the hope of the glory that you have earned for us by your mighty and glorious resurrection. Help us not to fear the unknown, but to fear and honor you with our lives of service. Bless all we do to the glory of your holy name. Amen and amen. God bless you.